This is the Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Weather Lounge, your favorite go-to podcast about weather. I'm your host, meteorologist Brad Miller, and I would like to thank you for joining us from here at our Weatherworks headquarters in beautiful Hackettstown, New Jersey. And joining me, as always, is my well-rounded co-host, meteorologist Mike Mahalik. Hey there, Mike. What are you getting at with well-rounded, by the way? Well-rounded meaning... I hope you're talking that I am well-rounded with education. Yes, you're a well-rounded individual, both uh, health-wise and... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know where you're going with that. Nah. I can afford to lose a few pounds. Nah. I get it. But anyway, hey, fall's here, and I'm not saying happy fall, Why? y'all. I, I just think, well, you actually made me say it now, right? Uh. Okay. But anyway, the topic today is weather and history, which could be quite interesting when you look back. And joining us, too, is Mike Priante. He's here. Mike. Hey, guys. What's up? How's it going? Hey, good. So, Mike, how you doing today? How's everything going? Oh, I'm very excited. I don't know if your the listeners are are, are are actually picking up on the quality, but uh, we have upgraded our equipment finally. Hey, that's what we like to see. Yes, exactly. And today's episode is going to be interesting because we're going to be diving into uh, the uh, the history textbooks for this one. We're going to be seeing how the weather can affect, uh, really how it's affected the uh, past events in history, all the way back to Columbus and as far recent as, uh, you know, the, the past couple of years. Yeah, weather and history, I mean, there's a lot of impactful weather that... Uh changed event historic events and you know just the way that you know maybe you know certain things occurred and maybe the way that they didn't happen so you know it's 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 gonna be a fun topic to discuss yeah so i mean i don't know how you guys want to take it do you want to go uh in chronological order or not but i mean we could start all the way back with columbus if you like if you want to um, let's, let's start with Columbus. I know it's not the most interesting thing, <laughs> I but know. Mike wants to talk about it. So let's start with that. Well, the funny thing is, is that with Columbus's first voyage in 1492, actually nothing happened. Really? And, and what's really intriguing about that is that he left in August. And if you know anything about hurricanes and August in the North Atlantic, that's not a good time. I can imagine. So imagine you're out in the ocean and there's a hurricane and this is before radar and satellite and things like that. So it had to be tough to kind of navigate around that. So yeah, so he left in August uh, during hurricane season. He landed in the New World um, in Cuba, Dominican sometime in October. So really he was covering the basically the heart of hurricane season and he ran into no storms. Now that sounds pretty amazing to me. Uh, I don't know if he was a budding meteorologist, maybe, maybe he knew what was going on. I have no idea. Or really, I, he probably got extremely lucky is what I'm trying to think How of. Name storms did they have that year, Mike? <laughs> yeah, I don't think they named it. Come on. Yeah, they called it, uh, I don't know, uh, a, a gale or something. Yeah. I, I don't know what they would call it back then. Um, but yeah, there was really nothing that happened that was crazy. And, um, you know, it looks like uh, he was exploring through January 1493. So, I mean, he was there a long time, but never really ran into any type of problems. The only thing he got was really nice easterly winds from the... Uh, subtropical high that was probably uh 
so, over the North so Atlantic. So a nice breeze is what you're saying. Yeah, at the sails. So he had a nice trip as far as I know, you know, besides probably people. What was that, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria? Yeah, that's it. I remember that from elementary. <laughs> yeah. But uh, if we're taking things in order, I guess that still is me, right? Nah. <laughs> You know, I, I guess I got to go with now the Revolutionary War. Ooh, a fun time in history, I guess. Fun time for the United States, that's for that's sure. That's for sure, yeah. Um, and what's interesting is you, you always see the paintings of George Washington crossing Delaware. And, you know, a lot of times it depicts him in, in snow and ice and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the question is, was that true? Was it true, Mike? Do you guys think it's true that he that he crossed with ice in the river? If it was yeah. in, if it was in the book, it was cold. It, it was, was in the winter. It's true. <laughs> Just remember, no, that. don't believe that. That's not true. <laughs> yeah, not well, not everything on the internet is true. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, actually, it was true. I mean, it was a very cold uh, during that time, and um, yeah, he crossed the Delaware River, and um, the plan actually was to cross on Christmas night in 1776. And there was a group of Hessian troops, which were actually German troops, um, working for the British. And they were holed up basically in Trent. And he wanted to surprise attack these Hessian troops. So he thought, what better time than the night after Christmas when everybody was celebrating during the the prior day um, to do it. So here's what happened. So the river was icy. It was very cold at the time. Um, So they had a little trouble with that, trying to get the boats across. Actually, only one of the three planned crossings made it um, based on this weather. And actually... It started to rain, then sleet, then snow during the crossing. That sounds like a difficult weatherworks forecast if I ever heard one. No, ab- absolutely. For South Jersey, especially. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, it makes a whole lot of sense. Likely, I mean, I don't have 1776 records, but it certainly sounds like it could be a, a nor'easter situation because one of the troops actually called it um, um, a, a hurricane blew in, but... Obviously, it's not a hurricane in December, but just to say that the winds were that strong. So, yeah, they crossed in those elements, and that's what didn't allow the other two crossings to get across. Um, And, you know, they had to battle sleet and snow to do this, so only Washington's fleet made it across, and they actually did um, surprise the Hessians at Trenton, and ended up winning that battle and you know it was pretty good too because we were losing a lot of battles at that time against the british um so to get that victory after the crossing of delaware um was certainly a morale booster yeah i I couldn't imagine you know back in the 1700s i mean how much protection could you have other than some jackets i mean your gloves probably get soaking wet and it's just it's probably wasn't very it was miserable i'm sure but 100 percent and actually, I guess they were trying to surprise them at night. They were trying to attack them like early in the morning before sunrise. But apparently they didn't do that because of the storm. Um, but I just wasn't sure. Uh, some sources say it was snowing at the time around 8 a.m. when they made their attack. And that concealed their, you know, uh, uh, what do you want to call it? The attack on the Trenton uh, troops there. Um but I couldn't quite confirm that everywhere. 
But if you want to just think of that in your mind, that might be fun. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's all. All right. Um, I think we should keep uh, keep talking about this time period. And I guess it's uh, time for me to now talk about my uh, weather event um, in history. And uh, if we fast forward, yay, America, we won the war. Now we're finally a country. Uh, but uh, not so fast, because if anyone remembers, the War of 1812 was kind of the, uh, the comeback of the British uh, attacking us. Um, so you know, obviously we uh, we won that war. Um, we kind of uh, uh, got through that, but there were some uh, some downsides as well, like uh, the burning of Washington D.C. You know, think of this: our nation's capital finally is developed, and of course the British are coming through, and they they want to burn everything to the ground. They want to capture this the this, this city, um, and they really tried to do that. Um, but uh, but one good thing that actually prevented most, if not all, of the city from either being captured or burnt was the weather, and there have been accounts, and uh, actually the National Weather Service uh, looked into this, and they actually, you know, obviously we can't really tell if this was, but looking at how the date, you know, all the accounts from these um, these journals and, you know, eyewitness accounts, um, there was a, a pretty strong tornado that actually fell. Now, um, the, this, the burning of D.C. happened August 25th of uh, 1814, so it was toward the end of the War of 1812. Um, and really, the uh, uh, the battle was kind of swayed because the tornado did a ton of damage. And uh, one account said that um, you know uh, cannons and debris were being lofted in the air, and a lot of casualties, believe it or not, were caused by the the storm damage and the debris from the tornado rather than gunfire. So imagine that people were getting you know killed out there because of debris. So wait a minute. Who was who was getting uh, affected by these? Was everybody. it the British troops or it was, was every, it us? It was everybody. Um, I was going to say, was the tornado on our side or was it on the <laughs> British? <laughs> You know, it's funny because actually... Because um, I'd like a tornado in my corner. I don't know. It's actually, just <laughs> um, back in the day, a lot of these, uh, you know, back in the day, we didn't really weren't uh, so technologically advanced, and the British were thinking this was an act of God, like, oh, wow, maybe, this yeah. was, maybe this was a sign that we should retreat. And actually, because of the tornado... They did retreat. The gods were angry that day. Exactly, yeah. Brad. The gods were angry that day, so they decided to retreat. But in 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 its wake, you know, it 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 caused damage to DC. So it wasn't like the tornado was on our side. We still took damage. And also, this this occurred for an hour to two hours long. So there might have been a might have been a big cluster of thunderstorms, heavy rain and wind. Maybe there was a microburst somewhere in there. But either way, it helped to douse the fires. So it it was good and it was bad. It caused structural damage. People got hurt or or, or were you know were, were wounded did or killed um but it did put out the fires and it prevented for most of dc from being destroyed so now did you say that it lofted cannons yes it lofted cannons and if you think how heavy a cannon yeah, is, right that's what i'm trying to think about that though i mean tornadoes can be pretty strong right i mean 100 well, uh, and, and they lifted tractor trailers so yeah yeah no and i'm just i'm impressed by the fact that it lifted cannons because you know typically in the northeast in the mid-atlantic we don't usually get tornadoes that strong. That strong yeah. Um so I mean we're probably talking about a tornado that could be EF3. It, I mean it, it really could have been. I mean we we don't have that data unfortunately. We don't we don't have the wind data from that, but from the accounts, I mean some some po- you know speculated back then it was a hurricane, but obviously the amount of time it occurred it was very uh, very short. Um so it so it based on everything and that's what the National Weather Service has 
postulized that it was a tornado that affected the area. And just one thing I want to give a shout out to my uh, my friend who works in the Capitol, uh, Scott Jung. He uh, he works in the Capitol as a, as a, as a tour guide. He actually uh, gave me some information for this. So, um, oh, so it's confirmed. This is all confirmed. Yes. So, Excellent. Uh, we, uh, the War of 1812, the burning of D.C. was thwarted by a what will be severe a tornado weather, yes it was severe weather so you can thank that for for saving our country yeah that's that's interesting a lot of people forget about the war 1812 also yes um, exactly important time in our history but uh, brad i think you're up next right all right let's hear what you got brad well um, we're gonna jump ahead here a little bit then uh um, fast forward through time right, we're, gonna, we're gonna head into the uh, 20s and 30s and uh i think a lot of folks know what happened here with the dust bowl and you know a lot of the country was, was still dealing with the depression in the late 20s, early 30s. I mean, it was bad. Uh, economy was really bad. Um, but the only place that was actually doing well in the economy was the farming. And of course, that's mainly in the Midwest. And uh, basically what happened was, you know, it, it was a basic normal weather pattern for several years. Everything was going great. I mean, the, the yield to these crops were, were doing good. And again, this was really keeping the U.S. economy going. Uh, at, at a time when, you know, a lot of folks were out of work and again, the depression and uh, a lot of folks were poor, but the, 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 the farming economy was, was still, was still a boon. So, you know, that's where the money was being made. However, after 1931, there were some big changes to the weather pattern and it basically lasted a long time and it kind of just dried up the Midwest, uh, you know, there's, there was no irrigation back then. Um, folks were having to deal with, you know, whatever fell from the sky, that's what you get. And if you don't get rain, well, then your crops are going to fail. And kind of that's what happened for a good five to 10 years across the Midwest. Now, there is the Ogagala, I think I'm saying that right, the Ogagala Aquifer. And that was being used, but it wasn't being used all that much yet at the time. Um, basically, what it is, it's a big lake in the, in the below the Midwest. It's it's in the deep down on the ground, and you know they would get water to come up from that. They would pump the water up from these aquifer from this big aquifer, and it would help out. But again, you can't you can't take all that water out when nothing's falling to replace it. So they really did have to kind of watch how much water they took. But at the time, nobody knew that it was just going to kind of dry up. So even that started to have issues uh, by the, the late 30s um, when the, you know, this dust bowl continued and really it, it left a scar on the on the uh, out west. I mean, in the Midwest, too. I mean, there was a lot of issues uh, with the silt and, and the clay that was now showing up and the ground was so hard that it took a long time for it to recover when the weather pattern did kind of get back to normal. So, I mean, even though, yeah, maybe we got the rain back, but the, 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 the ground just wasn't recuperating as fast as it should have. And again, they would still use the uh, Ogagala. Yeah. <laughs> You're having a trouble right? with that one, but yeah. I, I think anybody would. But uh, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's, it's something yeah. that, you know, that kind of changed uh, the whole, you know, thankfully the U.S. started coming out of the, the depression then, uh, yeah. but the farmers were still having trouble with the, you know, the dust bowl that was going on. So, um, and now, you know, you think about it today and you see what's happening out West sometimes with the, the wildfires and the drought that continues and, and you wonder if something like that is now occurring. I mean, we're having issues already with the, the water supply out West. I mean, um, you know, it, it's, it, it, it's cyclical, I'm sure with these weather patterns 
you know, we've seen nothing like the Dust Bowl before, at least uh, since the 1930s. But maybe there's something going on out west where we're starting to see more and more of this uh, drier pattern. And, you know, you think about it, if, 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 if the pattern stays like that, and it has been, it's been very uh, persistent over, what, the last 10 years. So you wonder if because it's so dry below, then the upper level pattern and the weather patterns themselves, uh, you know, kind of react to that. So maybe that's why this has been such a such a surplus of heat and, and dry weather out west. So, you know, it kind of goes hand in hand and uh, hopefully we don't see something like that again. But, uh, you know, that, that definitely changed history a lot for uh, the U.S. back in the 30s. Right. And it's funny you mentioned the West because, you know, that can certainly affect some of those wine crops, too. Um, they're out there. The vineyards, you know, they could certainly uh, have a lot of trouble with that dry weather, the fires uh, and, and things like that that are going on. And yeah, um, it, it's certainly concerning. But hopefully, you know, this pattern over the last actually couple of years uh, will start to break soon. Well, you want to take a break here? and We could take a quick break, and then after that, we can come back with uh, D-Day. Oh, that and sounds that's one of the, fun. Yeah, and that's a major weather decision that was made there, and we can certainly talk about that right after this. Heads up, it's time to renew your subscription for certified snowfall totals. Don't get left behind with unreliable information. Get the facts with WeatherWorks. We take pride in the accuracy of our post-storm snow and ice totals and will always provide you with the weather details that matter most. Don't wait for the first winter storm. Renew now and get ahead of the pack. Visit CertifiedSnowfallTotals.com today or call us at 908-850-8600. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Weather Lounge, your favorite go-to podcast. And today's topic is weather and history. And uh, we've covered already the Columbus voyage across the Atlantic. We covered the Dust Bowl. We talked about the War of 1812, the crossing of the Delaware. And now we are going to move on to D-Day. And uh, Mike Priante, uh, you've got some good info on this. Oh, I do. And I think Mike, uh, other Mike as well, has some information. (laughs) Uh, Yes, we have two Mikes here on the podcast. It can get confusing sometimes. And we have Mike's, yes. <laughs> Terrible jokes. <laughs> All right, let's 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 get past that. So, so D-Day, yes, the day, as they, as they say, uh, was June 6th. Um, you know, I believe it was 1940, was it 44? 1944. 44, okay. Um, and this was a pretty monumental part of World War II uh, because essentially this was the attack on Normandy uh, with the U.S. and the British, um, so essentially the the issue with D-Day was um, was the weather, and weather actually played pretty much ninety percent of the the you know the attack because if the weather was bad, they weren't able to do what they could do, and. Uh, June sixth was the day, and even even so, Mike, it it was a it was still pretty bad weather, but it could have been worse. Right, and I don't know if you have this, but June fifth was actually the day that they wanted to. Yes, that's uh, exactly right. Launch Operation Overlord is what they called it. Um, and the reason why they didn't do that is because there was a big storm moving through the English Channel, correct? That is correct. And, uh, you know, something that uh, that I actually pulled from one of our, uh, we, we do a lot of blogs here uh, at Weatherworks. And, um, you know, if we were to do a forecast today for it, um, essentially it would read something like periods of rain, extremely windy, you know, something that you really don't want to have, especially if you're launching a, both an air and a sea assault. Um, think about the waves that would have been, you know, 
pushing ashore. Yeah, I mean, it, it would have been it would have been terrible oh, uh, yeah. to try to launch that invasion. I mean, first of all, you have no air support um, because of the clouds and the rain, and then you're taking all of those ships. I mean, I forget how many ships actually crossed the channel. Well, I'm no history buff, so I'm unfortunately this isn't the history podcast, yeah. so we're not going to give you a lot of information. But I, you know, I feel like it was in the hundreds um, oh, or, or more, probably, um, or, or th- possibly even you know close to a thousand. You know, I can't remember. I remember watching a show about uh, D-Day not long ago. You know, Mike, there's probably someone listening right now that's like, no, there were 250. Yeah. You guys are wrong. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, let's just say there was a lot and there was a lot of troops um, also. Um, one of the largest uh, invasions in history. Um, and yeah, I mean, to launch that in bad weather conditions was was would be terrible. And the only reason they were choosing the fifth is because of it was a full moon and the tides were favorable um, for that invasion. Um, but yeah, um, we had to postpone it. But. Maybe you could fill us in on what they saw on the following day. Well, the next day was not as bad, but it still wasn't the best. The system was actually moving out. Um, They were originally thinking, well, if we can't do it on the 5th, the next reasonable date with the same conditions in terms of like the tides and everything was June 19th. And at that point, it would have been too late. Um, but June 6th was just as good enough for them to to be able to launch. I don't think they had air support, though, which was a little bit rough. They only had uh, the, the sea, I believe. Yeah, I think they tried the air support, but there was too many clouds in the morning when they were trying yeah. to launch that. So um, a lot of the, the, the bombing runs, I don't know if they exactly hit the targets they needed to um, that they were trying to do. Right. And also one big thing was that the the German forecasters, their their meteorological unit did not expect uh, conditions to be as as great or relatively great as they were. Um, Because, I mean, you know, relatively speaking, uh, it wasn't a great day. It wasn't bright and blue and sunny. Um, It was still, you know, not good. But it was enough where they weren't preparing for us to actually launch on the six. They thought we were going to push until right, you know, a week later. And that's and that's one of the a, a big thing because there was a lot of leaders on the German side that actually you know just took a break because um, they didn't figure that we'd be launching that invasion in such right. adverse weather. Um, yeah, it's it's just amazing. And you know, we got to give uh, big props to uh, British Royal Air Force Commander James Stagg. Yeah, uh, he was the man giving that briefing uh, on the day uh, to go with Operation Overlord. And uh, I'll tell you what, Mike, I've given some pretty high stress briefings here at Weatherworks, but <laughs> I wasn't trying to take out right. the Axis powers uh, and, and Nazi Germany um, in 1944. So, man, ah, great decision on his part. And, you know, just an amazing call. Oh, I believe it. I mean, he could be just as great as one of our best forecasters here. And then think about it. He didn't have computer models to go by. Not that that's all we ever rely on, but, you know, you got, you know, we have we have soundings to look at and computer models and radar and, you know, a lot of different things. You know, Brad, we take for granted nowadays how much technology we have. Back in the day, they only had charts and maybe like, uh, you know, readings from planes. We have radar and radar back then was still in its infancy. Yeah. I believe it was just being thought about. It wasn't really introduced until the 50s. Um, so actually after World War Two. But either way, 
it was still very primitive weather forecasting techniques. And as we know, weather forecasting is still not a perfected science. So just can't imagine how how they would forecast well, back then. You, you did mention radar, and I think they had a form of radar, um, but that was mostly being used for, you know, aircraft and things right, like that, right. spotting, you know, invasions coming across the channel. Right. Uh, I think there was actually a large network or something that was trying to take care of that uh, along the... Um, uh, the British coastline there in England. Um, but yeah, the, um, I don't think weather radar was really a useful thing at that point. It wasn't until the fifties, I believe when they really started to implement it, um, in the weather, but yes, uh, that, that is true. So, um, so what was that? 1944? That was 1944. So Brad, I think you're right after, right? Yeah. Now I'm going to set this one up here a little bit because this is a very localized thing that occurred in Western Pennsylvania and it really changed a lot of laws going forward. And I'm talking about what everyone's probably heard of is the Clean Air Act. Mike, Mike, I'm sure you've both heard of that. I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, and it goes back to something that happened in 1948 in Denora, Pennsylvania. Now, Denora, they were the home of the U.S. Steel's Denora Zinc Works, an American steel and wire plant. And they're kind of in a valley in western Pennsylvania. If you know anything about the topography out there, there's a lot of ridge tops, a few mountain tops. And then there's some really deep valleys down around the Monongahela River and out there towards the Allegheny. So really, in essence, what happened now on October 27th of 1948, all the toxic gases and all the stuff that gets released by this uh, by this uh, zinc works factory and these emissions. And usually they were just, you know, back then nobody knew what was going on with when you make things like this, you know, we didn't know a lot about, uh, you know, air pollution and, you know, maybe we we're just starting to study it, but uh, you know, and normally if you see a smokestack, it kind of just floats out, it goes up in the air and it moves away. In this case, um, you know, they're in a valley and these toxic gases kind of collected in the valley itself because there was an inversion. And we've talked about inversions before on the podcast. It's basically there's a layer of warm air above, you know, uh, maybe, you know, five, six thousand feet only above where we're at here on the ground. And it, what it does is it kind of traps everything in the lower level. So think of it as like a fog, you know, when there's fog around in the fall here in the Northeast, you know, it's usually created by an inversion. There's warm air above cooler air, and then it just sits there for a while. And it takes a while sometimes to mix out, but eventually, you know, the sun comes out or it just gets cloudy. But in this case, the inversion was so strong and there was really no air movement that all these toxins and all these emissions just kind of sat in the lowest, like 5,000 feet of the air of the atmosphere and it basically settles right there at the valley floor it turned yellow and it got all heavy and stinky and it happened for about five days and what happened was it all told 20 denoran people people from denora there died by november and another 50 died from respiratory illnesses a month later and really what it did was it told look we we told everyone that we got to come up with some some clean air acts and we got to clean the you got to keep the pollution at a minimum here especially when this kind of stuff happened it didn't move out for like again five days until some heavy rain finally came in and kind of moved the air around enough to where it, it allowed for the dirty air to get out but um you know it caused breathing issues for about forty thousand 
40% of the 14,000 people that lived in this town, which a lot of them worked at the zinc, uh, zinc uh, mining or not the zinc mining, uh, uh, zinc works in American steel. So basically what happened was then after that in 1955, they signed the Air Pollution Act because of this. It took them seven years. I don't know why it took that long, but think of it. This isn't just in Western PA. This is probably happening a lot in West Virginia. Think about all the coal mines and all the coal pollution at that time, you know, because we weren't burning natural gases at, the, at much by then. It was all this kind of stuff and all these mining areas and um, all this emission stuff. And eventually then finally in 1963, the Clean Air Act was passed and that still continues to this day. So all these air quality bills were were brought out and passed because of this Denoran air inversion that happened back in 1948. So I don't I don't want to say thanks for that happening, but you know, this is a reason why it, it kind of changed history going forward. And now the Clean Air Act is still uh, in effect now, what, 70 years. So it's 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 unbelievable that something like it took something like that for, you know, us to clean the air out. Well, you know, I mean, Brad, a lot of times things in history change because, well, things happen. Right. So we learn from our mistakes, right? And we always change. Sometimes we repeat our mistakes, but at least we're well aware of what, what's happened in the past and we try to fix it for the future. I wonder if something similar happened... Um yeah, I'm from the Lehigh Valley in Pennsylvania. Uh, I know Palmerton area yeah. uh, on the mountain there. They're right in between that, yeah. There was a zinc factory there that ruined the entire mountainside. I think it closed down finally. And I don't know exactly uh, if that was just a prolonged thing that happened over the years, but man, that really destroyed. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's by Blue Mountain there, and that whole side of the mountain is just right. like wiped out, and there's like looks like, a, like the moon or something. Right. Brad, did you look, I just pulled this up and I, 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 you reminded me about uh, the uh, the Great Smog of London in 1952. Do you remember that or did you look that up? Yeah, right. <laughs> you, you remember that, day, Brad, right? I'm pushing 70 today these days, Mike. Yeah. No, I knew, I remember hearing something about that though, too. Um, I don't know what the, what the. So just, I'm just reading it off here and it was basically, uh, it was a lot of combination of just uh, a, a pretty big inversion developed because of a, uh, a system that moved through and it was basically, well, after the system moved through, it was like basically dead calm with the winds and of course, 1952, as you, you know, they probably in, in, in the UK did not this have- This is in the UK, yeah. This is in the UK and they didn't have as uh, as great of uh, obviously air quality laws. Um, so a lot of that, um, you know, from the smog, from coal factories- and really, this this set up, and I mean, it was a couple of days. It was December fifth through the ninth of um of, of nineteen fifty two, and I mean, people had to wear masks. They couldn't, you know, it, it it was basically dark every single day. It was pretty bad. It didn't mix out until the ninth because it was just the winds really didn't pick up. So you need some kind of mixing to get that. You all do. That's crazy. I mean, you know, you would think that in, you know, Britain there in England, a lot of times they do have those gales that come through that are, I'm talking like an old timer now with the gales uh, <laughs> because of the whole, uh, back in my day, yeah. oh, that big gale came out of the Northeast. Um, but, Dana Carvey, uh, wasn't that from SNL? Yeah. Back in my day, we didn't have this. We yeah. liked it. But uh, anyway, um, but yeah, that's amazing, you know, to to have that happen so, uh, you know, in, impactfully, or if that's a word. Right. It looks like they had their own clear air, Clean Air Act in 1956. Yeah. Okay. So just like the U.S., I guess, uh, laws were being passed, obviously, after events, you know, so. So I think we're uh, fast forwarding um, to 
9-11, is that correct? I think so. I don't think there's any other events that we could talk about before that. I mean, there probably are a ton of events that we're of missing. Obviously, otherwise, it would have been a two-hour well, podcast. Well, I'll, I'll bring up something really quick here, though, before we get to 9-11, because, you know, it's a 20-year anniversary of that uh, horrible day back in 2001. So we'll get to that in a second. But, you know, one other thing was in 1986. And I don't know all the details about it, but if you remember, and maybe I know Mike Perante probably doesn't, and this is going to show my age and uh, Mike Mahalik's age, but the Challenger disaster. And I was young, but I remember seeing it on TV. I remember being a kid. And I guess what happened was they eventually figured out that the O-rings, which basically, you know, keep the keep the, the structure of certain things within the, the Challenger and the space shuttle, uh, it wasn't supposed to be below 55 degrees. It, they would fail. And I guess the morning before the, the launch, the temperature actually fell down to the upper 20s. So I think that's why the O-rings failed. And that's what led to, unfortunately, the the the, the, the Challenger to explode, you know, uh, on its, you know, halfway up into orbit. Uh, so, again, there's there's still a lot of different things I've read about that. But I think it all came down to these O-rings that weren't supposed to be exposed to temperatures under 55 degrees, unfortunately. That's kind of surprising to I me, know. though, because, I mean, you're, you're talking about, obviously, as you go higher up in the atmosphere, right. a lot of times you're temperature goes it down goes down so i don't know i don't i don't know what the yeah maybe unless it's yeah because you get in the orbit you're, you're below zero so well maybe because if it was on the the rocket boosters themselves you know maybe True. they figured that the rockets themselves are generating enough heat enough heat and they fall off anyway yeah and 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 we don't have to worry about that um so you know, I, I don't know, but that that's that's a real uh, shame. You know, and I always feel like I saw this in class uh, on TV, but it must not quite be because um, that would put me at like five years old in 1986. So I well, don't think I was watching it in kindergarten. You probably saw it recorded maybe years later. Right. I mean, I I've but seen I was, it. I know I was still in elementary school, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe they maybe s- they had it on the TV. I don't know. A you news know? segment, maybe. You know, they're, they're, like oh, we're five watch- years five years since news segment. We're gonna watch the space shuttle lift off yeah. today, kids, and then they had Horrible. to turn it off quick. Not related to weather though, but there was also another disaster, the Columbia disaster in two thousand three. Okay, right. that was not related to weather. That was a malfunction as they were returning to Earth. There was some foam that got into the, uh, the oh, yeah, right. yeah. rocket was, fuel and then yeah. it combusted. Unfortunately, not related to weather, but another disaster. Uh, just we're, we're on that same route. So, um, all right, now time to talk about um, uh, what happened on nine yeah, eleven. Very sensitive subject, nine eleven. Of course, we'll go, so we'll go quickly with this. It's yeah, not we, a big we don't thing. want to you know offend anybody out there, but we just want to talk a little bit about. Um, what the weather was like because on 9-11. Because there was a weather situation that could have changed or altered 9-11, believe right. it or not. All right. Uh, who wants to... Uh, I guess I'll uh, I'll go through this really quickly. So um, back uh, on September uh, 11, 2001, um, Hurricane Aaron was about 500 miles off the coast. And back then, the National Hurricane Center was projecting this to... Obviously, stay offshore. Um, There was a cold front that moved through the day prior, which brought thunderstorms and and showers across the East Coast. So it was because of that cold front uh, that essentially kind of kicked the hurricane. The the trough behind it, like we always see, and you get the it's it's always the trough ridge pattern, how fast they're moving, and you know this one got through before nine eleven. Exactly, and so the thought is is that you know if you look at there's tons of satellite images from that day, you could see the 
big Hurricane Aaron offshore, blue clear skies as high pressure filled in. Of course, you can see the the, the smoke plumes from from New York City. Um, and I know we're right around the uh, the 20th anniversary when this is going to be airing. Um, so just something to think about that um, you know we don't want to obviously don't want to speculate what would have happened if the hurricane did move on shore if the cold front never went through. But of course, something that uh, obviously weather could have made an impact right. but yeah i mean and uh, you know it, it's a it's a no win situation there um because exactly. if the hurricane would have impacted you know we're we're going to affect you know millions of people with flooding and winds and everything else too exactly um so it's just like i i don't even know like if I mean, hopefully that I wish it would have changed what actually happened yeah. on nine eleven. I just don't know. Um, I mean, and and you're and you're not certain whether or not it would have happened. Still, maybe a different day. I mean, yeah, th- there's I, a right. lot exactly. of factors that we're not going to go into, but something that we wanted to bring up, considering there was weather at that time, and it was an interesting topic to bring up. But wow, you know the. Guys, we covered a lot of uh, good history facts, I think. Going back 300 years, right? <laughs> All the way back to Columbus and his voyage where nothing happened. Yeah, yeah. his voyage where nothing happened. Yeah, maybe, you know, he, he could have been a secret meteorologist. Maybe he was just starting to develop the field back in 1492. You maybe, never know. Maybe, maybe he was a time traveler and he actually had radar. Yes, a time traveler. There we go. Weather, weather and science fiction. Maybe we can do that as weather another topic. Weather and science fiction. But, I mean, if folks, want, you know, if you have any other topics you want us to talk about, we can probably do this again, part two. But we need a yeah a whole bunch of new weather history. But I'm sure there's a ton out there. There's a ton of other things. Is weather and science fiction? That reminds me of the podcast <laughs> when we did the weather and movies, and yeah. didn't we talk about like Sharknado in that Sharknado. One? Oh gosh. Oh man. Yeah, I remember that podcast. That was fun. So guys, if you want to listen to that podcast, just go back in the history archives there on uh, Podbean, and you can certainly. I think it was mentioned in that one yeah you can certainly listen to that about weather and movies that was uh when all three of us were talking like this again but uh hey that pretty much wraps it up for this episode of the podcast so guys you know be sure to check back every two weeks we'll always have a new podcast for you then we'll be back soon